Hi, you're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast produced by the Get Global Network. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Let's get to it. There were two significant events in the entertainment world involving members of our royal family last week. The King of Pop, Michael Jackson, would have celebrated his 60th birthday on August the 29th. And of course, we laid to rest the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. What an amazing tribute and homegoing service they had for her uh, in Detroit, Um It was really something to see all of the performers, entertainers, celebrities, political officials that came out to pay homage and respect to Aretha Franklin. I think for me, I mean, it was a very long event, as most of you know, and I sat through it. (laughs) That was my way of honoring the Queen of Soul. And uh, the thing for me that I enjoyed the most was the end. Jennifer Holliday, I mean, wow. The song that she sang for the processional, for the family, really spoke to me. So much so that I recorded it and and I've looked at it a couple of times uh, since the service has ended. One of the other things that I thought was very touching was the tribute by the mayor of Detroit, who during his presentation mentioned that one of the things that the city of Detroit is going to do to honor Aretha Franklin is the renaming of an amphitheater that they have there uh, on their waterfront. It's currently called Shane Park. It's an amazing outdoor venue that holds approximately 6,000 people uh, when it was first built, when it was first set up and designed, and now uh, boasts crowds of over 100,000. He mentioned that when they celebrated the 30th anniversary of Shane Park on August 22, 2015, that Aretha Franklin performed there fittingly. And so on today, Tuesday, Mayor Dugan is going to propose to his city council member mates the renaming of Shane Park to Aretha Franklin Park. And another post-Aretha Franklin funeral services, foolishness, Bishop Ellis. <laughs> lots going on, lots being said about Bishop Ellis and his a hug, whatever you want to call that thing he did with Ariana Grande. Um, certainly you've seen probably by now the enlarged um, still shot of him hugging Ariana and uh, mistakenly or on purpose uh, touching her breasts. And so there's a um, lot, of, lot of consternation, a lot of, lot of conversation about all of that. And so I'm just going to say this as a woman and listen, Unless you're one, you probably don't really get to speak on this, men. What he did was outrageous. It was inappropriate. And listen, I don't know what was in the man's heart, but what I do know is he didn't hug Fantasia uh, that way. He didn't hug Jennifer Hudson that way, Shirley Caesar. I mean, there were a plethora of women that he came in contact with that day, and he only managed to slip up with this young girl. Now, I know that there's a lot being said about what she wore to the funeral, and while I have issues with that as well, be clear. I'm not saying that uh, her attire encouraged that, warranted that activity by the bishop, none of that. She is not to blame. I put the blame solely and wholly on Bishop Ellis. 
And so I understand, you know, that Ariana Grande, and we don't know what her thoughts are on that, but as a young woman, she doesn't want this kind of publicity. And, you know, this is why so many women who are offended by unwanted touches feel like they can't speak on it because of of a backlash, because you'll be told that somehow you got it wrong or somehow maybe what you wore subjected you to that kind of behavior. And so we're in the midst of a Me Too situation right now. And I get why, you know, women don't speak out when these kinds of things happen, because there's no way to prove intent, but clearly it was inappropriate. And, you know, when you're in a position uh, much like this bishop, you need to be careful and you need to be mindful. And the fact that he was in a public setting uh, on television and his wife was present doesn't mean that every now and again he won't try to do something and see if he can't get away with it. Now that the home going service for Aretha Franklin is over, there's a lot of chatter. And, and this was kind of going on before the services when word got out that President Obama and Michelle Obama were not going to attend the services. And so now I think we're at like DEFCON 1 on this whole why didn't the president, um, President Obama, come to the services? People are saying it was disrespectful. If Bill Clinton and Hillary could find the time to come there and then leave a little early to get to the McCain services, so could. President Barack Obama and Michelle. So to that, I say, look, you know, being in law enforcement myself, I understand that there are logistical nightmares that are surrounding the appearance of just one former president. So you can imagine the security personnel that would be, you can imagine the security personnel that would be required to adequately provide protection for two uh, past presidents. And so my belief is, because listen, Obama has never shown us that he was disrespectful, uh, disingenuous, or uh, thoughtless, if you will, in terms of how he comports himself. And so my belief is that there was a a legitimate reason uh, that would make sense if we knew it as to why President Obama and Michelle Obama did not attend the services. Perhaps it had something to do with, you know, the fact that the family wanted to allow the public in. And maybe there were some concerns about that. Um, Again, uh, maybe there were some issues with regards to Secret Service security. Maybe, perhaps, there was something going on in the Obama's personal life that just conflicted with this scheduling. And I would imagine that there was a conversation that was had behind the scenes between the Obamas and the family of Aretha Franklin. And so let's not jump to conclusions and assume. And listen, truth be told, uh, President Obama owes us nothing. He is not required to explain to us why he chooses to do or not do a thing. Could you imagine if every time he made a decision that might ruffle the feathers of somebody, he took to the airwaves to explain it? I mean, that's just nonsensical. It's intrusive to think that he would even be required to do that. He owes us nothing. And I believe that the people who need to know why he wasn't there, and that would be the family of Aretha Franklin, know in fact why he and Michelle Obama weren't there. So let's not denigrate the services. Let's not 
uh, Sully, the uh, legacy and the beautiful home going that was had for Aretha Franklin. And I say, all hail to the queen. Now on to law enforcement news. There's been some other uh, significant events in the law enforcement community last week. One being Roy Oliver, former police officer in Balch Springs, Texas, was convicted and sentenced to 15 years in the murder of 15-year-old Jordan Edwards. And while 15 years sounds very minimal, sounds like a slap on the hand to me, it's certainly not enough. A, A child lost his life because of this officer's impulsivity. But the fact that he was even given prison time is important because typically we don't see officers, number one, getting convicted, and number two, receiving a sentence that's commiserate with the crime that they committed. If you remember a few years ago, there was a Officer Lee on the New York Police Department who was found guilty in the murder of Akai Gurley, and he received a sentence of probation. I mean, what a slap in the face and a gut punch for that family, for this officer to get probation after he's unnecessarily killed their loved one. And if you don't remember the story of Akai Gurley, he was in a apartment complex stairwell where officers routinely do what they call vertical patrols. And this officer, Lee, who was a fairly young officer on the job, I think he may have even still been on probation, He was doing a vertical patrol in the stairwell with his partner and Akai had stepped into the stairwell with his girlfriend as they were exiting her apartment. And Officer Lee said he was startled, wasn't expecting that a apartment dweller might be in an apartment stairwell. And he shot this young man one time, hit him in the chest and killed him. And for that, he was given probation. So the fact that Roy Oliver was given a sentence of 15 years is encouraging. And then we do have uh, another officer who very recently uh, was sentenced to prison for 20 years, and that's Michael Schlager. Michael Schlager was the officer who shot and killed Walter Scott. Walter Scott was the gentleman that was running away from the officer, was shot eight times in the back. Initially, Officer Schlager said that Walter Scott had taken his taser from him and he used that as justification for killing him. Thankfully, there was someone nearby who had recorded the entire incident on their cell phone. And because of that video recording, they were able to refute Michael Schlager's version of the story, thankfully. So we don't just have his one version to rely on. Um, But for that cell phone recording, I'm certain that Officer Schlager would have escaped justice. And so 20 years for Officer Schlager in the murder of Walter Scott, 15 years for Roy Oliver in the murder of Jordan Edwards. My hope is that this will cause officers going forward to think twice before you use deadly force to do that thing that we're taught and trained to do, which is use deadly force as a last resort and not a first resort. The next thing of interest to me with regards to law enforcement is an assembly bill number 10 here in the state of California that was recently signed into legislation by Governor Brown. And assembly bill 10 deals with a cashless bail system here in California 
will be the first ones to try this new system. And the way it's going to work is now um, anyone who's arrested for a non-violent felony will have a risk-based assessment by an independent reviewer or members of the court system. And they, in turn, will submit a recommendation with regards to whether or not this person is eligible to participate in this cashless bail system. I spoke about that recently with Michaela on her TV show on HLN TV, uh, Michaela Live. And uh, if you'd like to hear more about my commentary, you can certainly go to my YouTube channel, Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, and watch and listen to that video clip as well as many others where I've spoken on issues that are trending and making national news. The thing that concerns me about the cashless bail system, and I'm not quite on the same page as the ACLU because they eventually pulled their support uh, for this bill, but I do have some concerns because I understand that people, human beings, are going to be making this risk assessment, and so there's room for error and foolishness. It's going to be based on whether or not you were arrested for a violent felony, and so when I hear that, I hear something that sounds like room for error. If you're going to be assessed based on whether or not you were arrested for a violent felony, then you understand that not everybody who gets arrested for a violent felony actually committed a violent felony. And we understand you're innocent until proven guilty and officers are able to make an arrest based on probable cause, which is a very low threshold. Probable cause meaning I have reasonable belief that you were involved in a crime, not absolute belief, not proof beyond a reasonable doubt, just reasonably, I believe you were involved in criminality and that criminality could be a misdemeanor or it could be a violent felony. And based on that probable cause, I then have the authority and the power to arrest you. And so let's not be naive or pretend that this doesn't go on because certainly there are instances, and I'm not saying this wholesale, but there are certainly instances where officers will make an arrest knowing full well that they haven't met the prima facie case for whatever that crime is, whether it's a robbery, which is a violent felony, whether it's an aggravated battery of some sort, uh, which could be considered a violent felony. So if an officer on occasion abuses their authority and puts someone under arrest for a violent felony, that could be problematic. And so I just hope that there's going to be a review and oversight authority who will make sure in the risk assessment that this cashless bail system is working fairly and that they are not using it with any particular bias. So we'll wait and see. But it's a good first step, so I'm encouraged. The next thing that's going on is a continuation of something I talked about in a previous podcast involving Betty Shelby. Betty Shelby is the police officer who uh, shot and killed Terrence Crutcher in Oklahoma. She was uh, tried and acquitted on the charge. She was given the gift of resignation, allowed to resign, and then she was picked up by a neighboring sheriff's department. So currently, Betty Shelby is serving on another sheriff's department in Tulsa and has been given accreditation through a governmental agency called CLEET, C-L-E-E-T. And she is now teaching a course 
to other police officers in the entire state of Oklahoma, I'm calling the chorus how to get away with murder because that's what she did. They're calling it how to survive a significant incident. Now, I understand when any officer is involved in a shooting, particularly when there's a loss of life, that it can affect you. And rightfully so, an officer should be given some training and some counseling and and therapy uh, to help deal with whatever it is that you're going through emotionally um, so that you are good when they put you back out in the street. But to have Betty Shelby teach this class, because I know how it goes when officers get into in-service, they're going to be asking all kinds of questions about the shooting and what did you do and what did you say? And, and, you know, so I know what to say when I get involved in a shooting so that I too get acquitted. That's what really is going to be going on behind the scenes, but nobody is going to know that because it's only going to be open to law enforcement because it's in-service training. So the idea that Betty Shelby would be the one putting this class on and the idea that the state of Oklahoma would sanction this is outrageous, it's offensive, and it needs to be stopped. So the family of Terrence Crutcher has started a petition on colorofchange.org, www.colorofchange.org. And the petition is called Ban under slash Betty. The petition has a very uh, bold black and white color to it and a picture of Betty Shelby in uniform. So if you just um, look for, search for Ban Betty uh, on the Color of Change website, I'm sure you'll find this petition. And so I encourage and ask everyone to go to colorofchange.org, sign the petition, support the Crutcher family, and also call Assistant Director Charles Gearhart in charge of CLEAT and accreditation. His number is 405 239-5153. That's Assistant Director Charles Gerhardt, 405-239-5153. In other law enforcement-related news, there's a story that's going around regarding an officer, a detective, on the Baltimore Police Department by the name of Sean Souter. Detective Sean Souter, back in November 2017, while investigating a homicide, Uh, had become involved in a deadly shooting where he was killed. And initially it was believed and reported that he had been killed by someone while he was out uh, in the community investigating this homicide. According to an independent review panel now, they've concluded that Detective Sean Souter committed suicide. And the reason that they believe that uh, the detective committed suicide is because the very next day um, after he had been killed, or after he committed suicide, he was due to testify before a grand jury. That Baltimore Police Department was involved in some really crazy stuff. Uh, There was an entire task force that had been under investigation, and many of the officers had already pled guilty to a plethora of uh, crimes that they had been committing. Um, One was that Detective Souter was involved in robbing citizens, and I believe one of his partners had had testified against him. And so Souter was being called before a grand jury to testify. And one or two things, or maybe both, was going to happen if he testified truthfully. Because if you don't testify truthfully, then you could be found guilty of perjury, which is also a crime. But Detective Souter was facing the loss of his job if the grand jury determined that 
he was involved in committing robberies of citizens. And of course, if he loses his job and believed to be involved in uh, robberies, then he too would face criminal charges. And so the belief is that rather than have to be subjected to the consequences for whatever it was that he was involved in, that he committed suicide. And listen, this is not so far-fetched because we know that there was another police officer back in 2015, September of 2015, an officer by the name of John uh, Joe Glenowitz, who did the same thing. He was, according to initial reports, involved in a foot pursuit. And he went through great lengths to stage his suicide. He was involved in a foot pursuit of allegedly three suspects. He was on his police radio broadcasting and describing the men that he was chasing. He said they had taken his gun, which didn't make sense to me when I first heard it, because if somebody took your gun, why the heck are you chasing them? And what are you going to do when you catch them? But nonetheless, that was what he said on the radio. I'm chasing these three suspects. He's giving a description of them. He's giving a location and direction as to where they're running. And then he goes radio silent. And of course, responding officers converge on the area like you would expect them to do when there's an officer seemingly in distress and they find his body. He had been shot. So the initial thought was that one or maybe more of these suspects had shot him with his own weapon. And it was later determined that actually he too had been involved in some theft of monies from his department, a program which he was responsible for overseeing gave him access to money and he had been stealing it and they figured out that he had been stealing it and they were about to close in on him, question him, maybe even arrest him, probably arrest him. And so rather than have that happen, he committed suicide. So listen, it's not uncommon to to think or unreasonable to think that an officer would not want to go to jail because they were involved in some criminality. And so rather than face the music, um, Officer Glenowitz and allegedly Detective Sean Souter uh, both committed suicide to avoid that unpleasant thing. Also, right now there's another viral video involving a young black man by the name of Daquan Dean in Indianapolis. And evidently, if you're a black man outside of your apartment complex, you could be accused of loitering and therefore arrested. And so Daquan Dean was stopped not by a police officer, but by some clown who's running around in a big old homemade vest with the words police on it, that in and of itself uh, should be grounds for some kind of a criminal prosecution because actually he's impersonating the police. He was not the police. And this guy's name, we need to make sure that it gets repeated on a regular basis. His name is James Reynolds, and he owns a security company. It's called Reynolds Security Consulting. And it seems as if he may have contracted with this apartment complex or maybe some other business nearby. And so he was working security uh, as uh, a member of his Reynolds Security Consulting firm when he encountered Daquan Dean, who told him rightfully, I'm not loitering, I'm sitting in my car, I'm working on my car, whatever it was that he said, it was legitimate, it was reasonable. And so this guy, because he wants to be the police so bad, and by the way, he was a police officer uh, on another police department and he got fired, I wonder why. Then he joined Sheridan Sheriff's Department where he was a reserve officer, but since this little 
kerfuffle, they have fired him. So he's no longer a sheriff uh, for Sheridan Sheriff's Department. But he was actually a police officer at one time. And so uh, they fired him. I'm sure it's because he did something bonehead and stupid like he did with Daquan, just harassing people for no good reason because he can. So on this day, he stops Daquan and he's not getting any compliance because he's not owed any. And so then what he does is he gets on his little handheld radio, I imagine, and called for backup. And the guy who shows up is the police. Um, He is Sergeant Robert Patterson, and he is a sergeant on the South Port Police Department. Now, the interesting thing about Sergeant Robert Patterson is that he also uh, moonlights, if you will. He works off-duty, part-time for this Reynolds Security Consulting Company that James Reynolds owns. So James calls his good buddy Robert over to help get the black man in check. And so you can hear and see Robert, Sergeant Robert Patterson, telling Daquan, I don't give a damn who you are and here's my badge. And he escalates this whole situation into a what they like to do, resisting arrest, refusing to identify yourself. And so now they put this young man in custody. They take him into custody. They put him in cuffs and they arrest him for this bogus um, situation. They, They manufactured, they created a reason to use force and they did just that. So while it seems like Sheridan Sheriff's Department has done the right thing by firing James Reynolds as a reserve officer, we need to make sure that Police Chief Thomas Vaughn, Police Chief over Southport, Indiana Police Department, also does the right thing It's reported that there is an internal investigation. Now, you know, that may or may not mean anything because an internal investigation could ultimately end with a conversation, with a slap on the hand. And so when you see and hear how aggressive this Sergeant Robert Patterson was with Daquan, you can see that this is just Eric Garner, a Mike Brown, a Sam DeBose, Sandra Bland, I mean, I could go on and on waiting to happen. This guy is extra aggressive for no doggone reason. And he probably needs to be helped to an occupation that is better suited for his particular skill set. It appears to me as a supervisor, and he is one, he's a sergeant. He should have come there and de-escalated the situation. He should have been the calming force, if you will, in this situation, but rather he came there and sided with his buddy, James, and decided to hum this young man into jail. This is the kind of thing that I talk about all the time where officers will arrest you for something when they know doggone well, it's probably going to be a DA reject. They know that they don't have uh, sufficient evidence to, to substantiate a prima facie case and they put you in jail and they don't care. They've taken however many hours that they keep you in custody out of your life. They probably think that you won't have the wherewithal to get representation to fight it. And now guess what? If you didn't have a record, you have one. Now you're in the system. This young man now is going to have to fight this and get his name cleared. And he shouldn't have to do any of that because he was doing nothing wrong. So I encourage everybody to contact Police Chief Thomas Vaughn in Southport, Indiana at area code 317-787-7595. And remember, this is a midterm election year. This is why voting matters. Let your vote be your protest. Now it's time for Did You Know? 
This is an election year, and there's a midterm coming up within less than 60 days. And so while there's so much to be upset about and so much that needs to be changed, particularly as it relates to law enforcement and minority communities, let your vote be your protest. And right now, what's going on across the nation is historical. There are three blacks that are running for gubernatorial offices. In the state of Florida, there is Andrew Gillum. In the state of Georgia, Stacey Adams. And in the state of Maryland, Ben Jealous. All black, all running for the office of governor. So I say, let your vote be your protest. If you really want change in your community on a variety of levels, part of that is going to come from how you express your concerns at the ballot. So this is a great time to get a governor who looks like you elected in your state. Governor is a great place to start. Mayors are important. Mayoral races are important because I always say every police chief serves at the pleasure of a mayor. So let your vote be your protest. Until next time, be good and be safe. America, don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. You have been listening to the Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast, produced by the Get Global Network. Please take time to subscribe to the podcast on podcast platforms like iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Podcast, Spreaker, Stitcher, and many other platforms. The podcast is also available on the Alexa and Sonus wireless speaker systems. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.